Hello and welcome to episode 20. Not 20. It's not episode 20. It's episode. Oh shit. Episode 18. Episode. Oh, I got. Here. Help. Episode 17. Uh, I know it's not episode 17. Let me, let me mute the movie. Let me let me check. Okay. I had to mute uh, the awesomeness that is Con Air. It's pretty freaking episode 18. 18. Episode 18, yeah, yeah. where we are celebrating 20 years of Con Air. <laughs> um, and you know, have, has there ever been a more an action movie with a more star-studded cast? I mean, it's just like leaking stars all over the place, and like top-notch stars too. Like Ving Rhames, it was like at the top of his game, and Nick Cage. Yeah, Ving Rhames and game. Nick Cage both at the top of their games, and you could even maybe make the case for John Cusack, although it's maybe a little past John Cusack's prize because John Cusack kind of peaked early. Yeah, this is like gross point blankish. Yeah, I don't know if this was after or before. Uh, it was I think two this is years before, actually. I think gross point blank was nineteen ninety nine. Oh, nice. Because um, I think at this point, I think he slowly starts doing movies just for money. Yeah, that's what he does now. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and we've got John Malkovich in his prime. Um, you know, now I would say Steve Buscemi maybe is actually this is a little early for Steve Buscemi, although. Steve Buscemi's pretty much been awesome his entire career. Actually, I think this is like right in his peak too because he he'd already been in like all the Tarantino movies, so that's where he kind of like got right. He would already been in Reservoir Dogs and um, also the uh, Pulp Fiction. And wasn't he yeah. also in Four Rooms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think right. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. Now this was a little bit. Well, I guess this was probably right around the time he was cameoing in all of. Uh, cameo and in all Adam Sandler's movies too and in some of those movies he was the best part of those movies yes <laughs> he was uh, and it was it Billy Madison he's the guy uh, he Billy Madison calls and, and apologizes yep. so he crosses him off crosses the list. him off the list and then in, in the wedding singer he was easily the best part of the wedding singer because he was like the drunk brother-in-law oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. and he was fantastic in that and let's not let's not forget the hardest working man in Hollywood Danny Trejo's in this movie <laughs> Um, uh, so good. And I would say that this is actually a little pre Danny Trejo. This is when J Danny Trejo was still kind of like just like the typecast scary Mexican. It was like kind of before everybody went, oh, that's Danny Trejo. He's the man. Yeah, it was like, like uh, I think Desperado was in that area too. Yep. And like that was like Robert Rodriguez kept putting him in everything. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he, as well, he should. I mean, Danny Trejo is awesome. Um, have you ever seen the documentary about him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he like talks about robbing a liquor store with a like a grenade or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, that's amazing. Yeah, well, and he talks about how the reason that he got into Hollywood was because he was actually a, a sponsor for a drug addict who thought he was going to use heroin again if he like was he like got a job on this heroin or on this this movie in like the mid seventies and he was um afraid that you know there was so much drug usage going on that if he you know stayed going to it that he was going to start, you know, get back on the heroin. So he calls up Danny Trejo, who to this day is still working as an addictions counselor. Like you could, you could still end up getting Danny Trejo as an addictions counselor if you sign yourself up in in L.A. Um, and he's and Danny Trejo said, "Look, I'll go with you. And anytime you you feel like you're going to have a problem, just come to me and I'll talk you down." Well, anyway, the the people who were using were these inmates or people. They were actors who were supposed to play inmates. And um, they all went to the director and they said, hey, this guy keeps giving us the evil eye and he's scaring us. Could you tell him to leave the set? And the director said, well, if you're supposed to be hardened inmates and this guy giving you the evil eye scares you, then that's who I want as an, you know, that's who I want to be, play an inmate in my story. And so he cast him and like the rest is history. Um, but yeah, yeah. I actually had no intention of becoming a famous Hollywood actor at all. He just wanted to be an addictions counselor. Yeah, I think you're you're breaking up a little bit. I'm not sure if that's if it's just my my connection or what, but you're breaking up a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I'm recording directly to the software, so hopefully, so yeah, hopefully it, it may sound bad to you, but it probably still <laughs> sounds okay on the podcast. Okay. Cool. Cool. I just wanted to be yeah, make sure. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah I, mean, yeah. I mean, I think he was he was buddies with uh, maybe maybe it was Eddie Bunker who was like he was sponsor with. Right, the writer. Mm -hmm. It might have been him, maybe. It could be because I, I, I mean, I just, I'm not sure exact the exact details of that story. I just remember thinking that was remarkable that 
you know, it wasn't like most actors who, you know, bust their ass for four years or five years or freaking 20 years before they ever get discovered. You know, he just kind of accidentally fell into it. And I mean, I could see where it, you know, like he is a very scary looking, looking guy, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I think I'm looking here and it says he was a drug counselor on the movie, but then Eddie Bunker was on the movie and recognized, recognized him. Oh, okay. Uh, because he was a he's all, Eddie Bunk is also a former convict slash crime writer right slash dead guy but nice. that's not the guy who wrote Drug Store Cowboy is it no this guy was in he was a in Reservoir Dogs he was a Mister Blue he was the older guy right that had like one he, line and gets shot yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah he gets killed off camera yeah yeah I know yeah, who you're talking about. Yeah, it's a bunker. He wrote a bunch of like really good crime movies, and I think we talked last week, but it didn't get through um, the basis of that dog eat dog movie, right? With Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. He was like he wrote he wrote the book. Oh, that nice, was based on. nice. Yeah, I, he's I, a good he's a really good crime crime novelist, but like the movies aren't are like a little right hit and miss. And that's uh, uh, and you know a lot of great novelists are like that. You know, um, their their movies. They, it's it's hard, it's hard to squeeze a, a great novel into an hour and a half to two hour format, you know. So you see a lot of that get sacrificed. Yeah, it's just like it's like really good like tight writing, like just like super crime. I think the one movie that I think was made adapted was called Straight Time with Dustin Hoffman, and that's like the best adaptation I've seen of his his books. Nice. I'll have to actually nice. look him up. He's I've been looking at like uh, new authors and stuff because I, I read a lot, and I'm actually starting, I, I won't say running out of things to read, but I'm mm. running out of good things to read, you know, so it's like I'm always on the lookout for some other novelist that's like really good. Yeah, he, he'll be a good one. He did uh, Animal Factory. I think, what else do I have over here? Uh, no beast, so fierce. Nice. Probably just like L.A. crime, like ex-convict type stuff. It's really, really good stuff. Right. So yeah, Con Air is is um, definitely <laughs> diehard. <weird>. It's definitely <laughs> diehard. Like, uh, you know, I mean, it's basically diehard on a plane again, um, without snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice the the beginning? Shout out to Powers Booth again. He was doing the voiceover of like the, the the army sergeants. I did not realize that. Yeah, I didn't realize it too until I started watching. I was like, "Holy shit, Powers Booth!" That's pretty All sweet. Right. See, so there's more people to add to the uh, <laughs> add to the list. I mean, Dave, even Dave Chappelle's in it. Even Dave Chappelle plays like the funny black man. Who I also think that Pinball is kind of the unsung hero of the movie. <laughs> Because you yeah. know he's kind of the one that kicks it all off. Like there really wouldn't be a movie if if Dave Chappelle hadn't sent the Indian guy on fire. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was basically he, he started it all. Yeah. Was, I like well, and, you know, it's like we we bring this up a lot, but it is kind of funny how in the mid '90s, like, you know, casual racism was like still okay. You know, like he it won't. You know, he sits down next to the Indian and says how and. And starts throwing out all these freaking Indian stereotypes. And even at one point, he looks over to Nicolas Cage and he was like, yeah, if this doesn't work out, well, how do I say it? I'll put it in Ebonics. We be fucked. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, casual racism. Good old casual racism of the I don't 90s. Think it's, I don't think it's, a, it's not too bad, though, I think, in this. It's pretty... No, it's not super terrible. It's not... I don't know, like... The Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's or anything, but <laughs> no. it's still a little like I don't know if you'd see something like Con Air today. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think it has too many weird tropes in it to yeah. kind of get by in in today's today's cinema. Um, and it has some really genuinely creepy stuff in it, like uh, when Steve Buscemi's like playing with that little girl singing. Um, what is it? That Jesus lives all the little children. Is that the song? No, he's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, yeah. yeah like that was like, yeah. generally very, very creepy. And like I know that like nothing happens, and and you know Nicholas Cage saves the day before he does anything sinister. But it was still very sinister, you know. Well, that he 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 comes out on top at the end. He's got gambling at the end. It's like yay, he's okay. And like, yeah. Wait. He's a serial killer. Yeah, he's, he's the worst. He was the very worst one, and he's the only one that really gets away from all of it. Um, which that like, was a big, like that, that was a big theme in the '90s. Like the serial killers got away a lot in the '90s. 
you know? <laughs> I mean, look at, like, Hannibal Lecter gets away. Um, well, there's another one I'm thinking of. I want to say Seven, but Kevin Spacey's character in Seven doesn't really get away. He just wins, you know? But he still he wins. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, like, it's like it's not like he really gets away, but he still wins, you know? <clears throat> and it's funny, that that is in Seven, that's so iconic that... Anytime, like, at, at my workplace, like, anytime I have a box of anything, like, you cannot yeah. take a box into where I work without somebody going, oh, my God, what's in the box? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you cannot have a box, because if you have a box, you're, you, somebody's going to say, oh, my God, what is in the box? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, like I always think that's cool. Like you, that, you know, you've always accomplished what you set out for in a in a um, movie. Whenever somebody can throw a line out there like that, and it's instantly recognizable, you know. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like transcends the movie itself. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like people right. use people use that line anymore, and they don't even know what what movie that's from. They yeah, say it. yeah. Like I, in the documentary about John Milius, they've got um, Robert Duvall, and uh, he goes. He goes, yeah, uh, you know, um, people to this day in 2012, like, because it was made in 2012, he's like, to this day in 2012, walk up to me and ask me if I remember the line, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. And I'm like, <laughs> God damn it, people have been reminding me of it two times a day for the last 35 years. So, so Nicolas Cage, like, his performance in this is so fucking sincere. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah, and there's, like, especially... No hint of, like, oh, go ahead. There's no hint of, like, there's no hint of, like, 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 winking at the camera or, like, just being ironic or just, like, he's, like, fucking super sincere, dude. Right. Like, like, he was actually kind of... really trying to be a professional actor in that, which was kind of cool. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, like, this character, like, with his with his accent and his hair, it's, like... I think if it was made now, like I don't think that would be it'd be made played for laughs. Right. And this is completely fucking serious that his hair is. Yeah, is like, that I super mullet? He's got that sick sweet mullet. And he's got that accent, which supposedly it's like I think it's supposedly on point, but it still seems very contrived. Yeah, it's just like. It's, well, and yeah. I like how the years in prison sort of turned him into a redneck. Like when he first got out of the Rangers and he was all clean cut, like the accent was toned down. And his like hillbilly status was was kind of just really really subtle, but I guess like you know all the hard knocks in prison made all the redneck in him come out and the ranger go away. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, they hinted at that like at the very beginning, like his violent past, which is hilarious because like his wife is like, "Oh, I thought you left all that behind you when you went to the rangers." I was like, "He went to the fucking military." You hey, think of anything, it, it's going to be more violent. They literally freaking brainwash you into being a, a freaking heartless killer. That's like the whole point of going into the military. You're useless. You're useless if you're going to be refined individual in the Rangers. Yeah, it's like, it's like if anything, it's made him even worse. Yeah, there. yeah. Just ask Lou Ferrigno. Look what it did to him. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can't talk about that. Anymore. No more instant. We, we already got through our instant death, instant regret. I think we talked about that movie more than any other movie. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but yeah, you know, like, I mean, it, it's another good thing is just that it had so many, like, stars. And I, the only thing I can think of is the, um, it's not the deplorables, the, the expendables. But, you know, the, ex yeah. the expendables <laughs> really went out of its way to showcase it be, that it, it had all these called. big stars in it. It should be called the deplorables. The deplorables, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it should be called that. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they made a big deal about like having all these people, but then they didn't do anything with them. Yeah, they didn't showcase any of them. It was just kind of like, well, we have them for the sake of having them, and all we're going to do is like show them off. Like, they have Chuck Norris, and Chuck Norris just comes out and makes like a sweet cameo. Like, you know, they should have Chuck Norris like killing everyone, you know? I'm pretty convinced that Chuck Norris wasn't even in that movie. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure if you watch watch his scenes, I bet you he was fucking green screened in. Yeah. Yeah, like, they just satellited him in, you know. And I'm also really upset that they didn't put Harvey Keitel in any of those movies. I mean, if you're going to have a freaking legitimate movie badass, you should have Harvey Keitel in there. It's just that they... Oh, those movies are so... 
they make me so angry because they're so bad and they could be so good. Right, right. Like they have they have this all this potential, and instead of them <coughs> using the potential, they were just like, "Hey, we'll make another piece of shit vehicle. Why not?" Yeah, like I, I just, oh, I don't. It's so bad. It's so bad. And I'm pretty sure. I think the guy who directed Con Air directed the second one. Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, it's like, like, dude, like you, like he, like this movie is. I think, I think, le- legitimately a good movie. I think it's like, like well crafted. It looks fantastic. I think it's written. It's well written. Well, and like, I, I think, I think it's a very good example of how you should do. Like, you know, if you're gonna go down and do and don't list of what you should do in an action movie, you can check off almost all the do's in Con Air. You know, like yeah, like. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> Oh, I was just gonna say it's like when I was while I was watching, I was thinking like of all the Asian action films we watch. I was like, this is a fucking like it should be called Con Fucking America because it's yeah. just like so it's such an American made movie. Right. It's like in such a style, the action is so well. American. And you got to remember that was kind of at the height of the whole Hong Kong invasion with John Woo and and like you know um, that was probably when you saw the biggest influence from Hong Kong action f- films in mainstream Hollywood movies. Yeah, like right after this was uh like face off like blew up and right, stuff like that. So. Right. But this was like 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 just like straight up like an American like I don't know how you could not tell tell that this was made in America. It's just its sensibilities and Yeah. And all that. I thought it was funny too that even back then, even back like, and I mean it's still this way, but I and I and I remember them being that way, but like nobody really liked the DEA in the '90s either, you know, like yeah. the DEA were like the freaking stooges throughout the whole movie, and the freaking the DE agent is like like the worst freaking undercover agent you could ever think of, like. Uh, just having a, a slight law enforcement background, like I just was like, that is the dumbest. Thing. I mean, they would beat the hell out of you if you were actually in school and suggested that you do something like that in a hostage situation. Um, yeah, because yeah, was it Dave Chappelle? He goes, "I'm DEA." You know what that means? And Dave Chappelle's like, "Yeah, man, you're the most crooked person on this planet." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, but the, like the whole thing is, is it's like you know, like I've actually taken you know legitimate hostage negotiation courses and you know like i guarantee you grab the nearest inmate you can find and hold them as a hostage <laughs> is not on that list <laughs> i know it's like you see him like kind of doing you're like why are you gonna grab fucking pinball like why don't you wait it's like yeah and you know and they, they actually mention that um there's actually a scene that um is a legitimate thing in law enforcement where uh you know the DEA agent's arguing with John Cusack, and he's like, you got my agent killed, you got my agent killed, and he was like, you put, you put a gun on that plane, so you got him killed, and um, like that is a legitimate thing in um, like corrections or in prison guarding, that you, yeah. know, you don't get a gun because you know the possibility of someone taking that from you is way, way higher than you actually being able to defend yourself with it. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. so, like, I mean, the fact that... Like, I mean, granted, it's Hollywood, so they're not actually going to be following all that much protocol. But, you know, John Cusack's right. Like, somebody who was a, a, a prison official or worked for the prison system would freak out if they found out even another law enforcement agent. Like, we regularly have U.S. Marshals come to our prison, and it's a big deal where they have to check all their weapons, and we have to pat them down to make sure that they don't bring any weapons in because it's mm-hmm. such a high risk. Um, but yeah, no. I, whenever I saw him grab Dave Chappelle, I was just like, "Wow, that goes against all of the hostage negotiation training I've ever had." And it's like so bad that I've, ne- I've never even heard that brought up. Like, well, why don't you just grab a hostage and then offer to trade? And it's like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, if if you don't care, like the DEA agent, if he doesn't care about like the the prison guard. What do you think Cyrus the Virus is going to care about, like, another prisoner? Yeah, a, another like, prisoner, right, you know? And like, and, like, that was a great line, too. Oh, you think I care about some freaking dumb bitch prison guard? And it's like, dude, I'm, like, I'm shaking my head, like, no, just no. <laughs> no come on. <laughs> you know, like, because I mean, I mean, in hostage negotiation, the first thing you wanted to do is acknowledge 
and kind of build up the idea that the person who's holding the hostages has all the power. You want to assume like a very beta role and kind of subtly convince them to your point of view. You don't want to confront them about anything or try and take away their power, like saying, you know, the only th the only leverage you have right now is somebody I don't care about. Like that's the worst thing you could possibly say, you know. <laughs> Yeah, this um, is like the worst negotiations ever. Yeah, and you know, and I'm assuming that a federal agent is a little bit better trained than my ass, you know. <laughs> he just like freaked out. It was like the classic freak out. It's like uh, I can't take this. Right, <laughs> right. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, but I mean, I see. Like again, it was because they kind of needed that foil to escalate the action. So they were like, well, nobody likes DE agents. Let's make him out to be a bitch, and then he can escalate everything and get the action rolling, you know, and assign or assume uh, the different mm. roles of the different people, kind of establish everybody's character a little bit better, you know? Yeah, and just make the uh, the other agent that big of a, more of a dickhead, the ass-kicker driver guy. Right. <clears throat> oh, what was his name? Uh, he was all. He was his, the awesome His real name is Calmini, but I'm not sure what his character name was. Right. He was in the. He was in the commitments. <laughs> was so he? Good. Yeah, and he's yeah. been in so much stuff. And I, every time I see him, I want to remember what his name is because he's been, you know, I mean, he's had probably a 35 year career as a supporting actor, you know. Yeah, he's he's always he's always good. So. I want to say he was even in Star Trek: Next Generation. I'm sure he was. I think he was. <laughs> I think he was um like the Scotty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, he was the Scotty character, like the engineer that worked the teleporters. I, I see here it was Chief Miles O'Brien. Okay. <laughs> Fifty-two episodes. Nice. So. Oh, and then he was in Deep Space Nine. So there we go. There we go. Yeah, I was gonna say because I know that he's. He's like one of those actors that you know you instantly recognize, but he's not like Nicolas Cage. Where you go, oh, that's Nicolas Cage. You're like, there's that one guy who was in that thing. <laughs> he was that one guy who's probably a dickhead. Yeah, like <laughs> all times. Yeah, he might have been a little bastard. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you know, all, I like... think I think the movie remarkably like holds up pretty remarkably, if only because a lot of the people in it you see went on to become much much bigger stars. You know, like I mean, this is this is Dave Chappelle pre half baked pre Chappelle show. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. <clears throat> um spe yeah, Dave. Speaking of which, I just turned Paul into a big Dave Chappelle fan because of his new. I, I said, "Oh, I, I really want to watch these new Dave Chappelle specials," and Paul was like, "Who's Dave Chappelle?" And I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, like <laughs> I was like Rick James, bitch, and he's like, "What?" And I was like, "I'm Rick James, bitch." He's like, "I don't get it." I was like, all right, we got to sit and watch some TV. <laughs> I haven't seen the new specials. How are they? They're very good. They're dark. They're dark for uh, Dave Chappelle, but they're really funny. Nice. He, he lives in a town where I went to school in Wright State in Dayton, Ohio. He, he talks about town. that. Yep, he talks about that. Yeah, he lives in like a little town. And like, and like we, we were filming a, a student film in that town, Yellow Springs, and I think he came by. Nice. He was just like walking by, and I think he talked. I, I didn't see him, but like somebody said, "Oh, Dave Chappelle just walked by," and that's what we were doing. Nice. We were, we were like filming on the streets or whatever, so he just like just fucking hangs out there. Right. Yeah. No. He he talks about living in Ohio as part of an act, and it's actually pretty funny. Um. Yeah. I would highly recommend watching. There's actually two specials, and they're both well worth watching. Um. Now I know that the internet's kind of pissed off at him because he took quite a few jokes that would not be considered uh, politically correct right now. But they were really funny, <laughs> you know, and he devotes like, like, I mean, it's two hours long. He devotes a good half hour to OJ jokes, too, which is, you know, I mean, it's like pretty cool that in 2017, you're still going to go there, you know. And, uh, well, he just had like the four documentaries about him in the TV show. True. So Yeah, that's like true. That. Uh, but yeah, no, it was very funny. But you know, like you got to remember that this is before Dave Chappelle was any of that. You know, like back then, very he wasn't a household name at all. You know. Yeah, what was he in? I feel like there was something that I remember him from, though. Let me look him up and see. I feel like there was something I, because I remember, I feel like I recognized him in this movie, but right. Let me see if I can find. 
find it and see if there's anything. You know, because like I remember his big breakout as being half baked. That was this big, you know, and and see, it's weird that you say that though, because I remember in half baked thinking I knew who Dave Chappelle was and was excited that he was getting a movie. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> Kanye, no. Anything before that, I have no idea. So. Hmm. He was in Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Okay. That's, that's not. Uh, I don't think that was the movie. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe, maybe just see him as like a comedy, like on some comedy shows or something. Yeah, and that's possible. Because, like I said, I know that he was—he was definitely an established. I mean, he—he's one of them guys that was kind of a child prodigy. Like, I think he started doing stand-up when he was like fifteen or sixteen years old. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that too. Yeah, he like was going to comedy clubs like super, super, young. super young. Like his mom would actually take him to the comedy clubs, and he'd have to get like special dispensation, and that. Like, his mom would tell him that he could do the dirty jokes because he'd have to but to get over as a comedian, but he could never repeat any of it outside of the comedy club. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, and he's somebody I've always liked. I remember when he left the Dave Chappelle show just sort of, like, at its peak, I was, like, good on him. You know, like, I, I respect somebody who doesn't let themselves just freaking fade into obscurity, you know? Yeah, I remember seeing an interview recently about that, and he said like, he like so many people wanted their own like hand in his what he was doing, and he was just like, it's not worth it. And right. He was, like, he was like, if it's not going to be mine, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And you know, good on him for that. Um, I think that they kind of the media, the, the and I think almost his audience wanted so much more of him that when he said he wasn't going to do any more, they kind of turned on him because he was still so popular and everybody still wanted something from him. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, he, he makes a couple jokes about how, what's he say? He says, yeah, he says, you think I don't feel that whenever I left? You don't think I think it's weird watching Key and Peele do my show every night for the last five years? <laughs> I was like, ooh, he went there. <laughs> I've heard him mention that, too. Like, he's just like, I don't even get, like, a credit or anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. And speaking of which, I, I, I mean, he brought us Charlie Murphy, which was amazing. Um, yes, you know, and Charlie Murphy was awesome. I don't know if you ever watched any of his stand up, but he's not very good. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> and, and because he never started doing stand up until after the Chappelle show sort of capital put him in the spotlight, and he figured he'd capitalize on it. And it was one of those things where he, his timing was off. He was not a polished comedian at all, but his stories were like so funny that he could get away with it. Um, <laughs> He's also very. He was also very, very dark, which I don't think people quite accepted or expected from him. But yeah, I've actually watched a couple of his stand-ups because uh, if you watch the uh, like the the Chappelle Show DVD, there's like about a half hour of footage of all of the Charlie Murphy, like the true Hollywood stories with Charlie Murphy that they never actually made it to air. Like, and it's just video taping him kind of riffing on living with Eddie Murphy, and some of the shit is like so funny. I mean, and you could see where. There's no way they were actually going to put it on network television. Like, one of them is about how this quadriplegic guy got drunk in a restaurant and was talking about how Beverly Hills cops suck, so he beat him up. Oh, <laughs> and he was, like, he was like, yeah, yeah. He was like, I had to punch him in the mouth because I thought that was the only place he could feel it. And I was like, wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it's, like, really wrong, but it's the kind of, like, you know, one of those things where you think, this, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but you still kind of do, you know? That's great. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, since he recently passed away, we got to give old Charlie the, the shout-out. Um, and I'm trying to think of anything. I, I really want to, I mean, we're almost a half hour already, and we really haven't talked about Con Air all that much, um, which I feel like it deserves a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we should mention the sweet wind machine that apparently follows Nicolas Cage everywhere he goes. Yes, it's always even blowing inside, his mullet back. The yeah. yeah, his hair, is, his mullet's always getting blown back. Yeah, even in the plane, there's like one scene where it's like, there's no windows anywhere. Like, how is it blowing? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I did notice that too. Actually, and you know, I think it was maybe somebody said, hey, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme's this big action hero and he's got a sweet mullet and Nicolas Cage is like, I can beat that, you know? It's not even like, it's like a weird length too. It's not quite long enough, but it is, it's long, but not long enough. Right. Like, I, don't know, I don't know if you could put it into a ponytail. It, it seems really like, 
yeah. weird length. And I just can't wait until people start looking at man buns like they're mullets. You know it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Worst. Although, you know, to be fair, okay, the only real... I've never actually seen a man bun in person. Like, I've seen people making fun of them on the internet, but I've never mm. actually seen a man bun in person. But when mullets were big, I saw them fucking everywhere. Damn. Hell, living in, I live in the freaking Appalachians. I still see them everywhere. <laughs> I was gonna say they're still pretty big. I feel. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <clears throat> um, I mean, you just need to come out to the West Coast. There's man buns like crazy out here. Yeah, I can imagine. I because you live in West Hollywood, right? Well, no, it's like Burbank. But, oh, okay, I mean, still close enough. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's like all oh, just man buns and like handlebar mustaches. And... Right. I actually, you know, I may be <laughs> out there. I may be out there sooner than you think. My uh. My uncle lives in Bel Air, and he's not doing so well, so I may have to go out there soon. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, What's wrong with him? Uh, I, I want to say he may have cancer. I'm not sure. He's very old. He's almost 90. Oh, wow. Um, and it sucks because he's a very, very cool dude. Somebody who I kind of wish as an adult I'd spent more time with him. Like, I spent a lot of time with him as a kid. Uh, but yeah. then, of course, you know, he always he's always lived in either Canoga Park or Burbank. Or not Burbank, Bel Air. I'm sure you've even heard the story. I'm, I've told it to everybody about how his house was actually in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I'm sure I heard it. Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. His the house next to him was the location that they used for Fast Times Ridgemont High, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. people were actually offering to um, like come to like they were offering to like pay him money to go. Uh, stand in the backyard like where his pool is because they could look over the f uh, fence and watch the nude scenes with F Phoebe Cates. That's and, right. That's right. I, yeah. I think we talked about it earlier. Too. Yeah, and I, I was going to say I'm sure it's it's one of those it's one of those like family stories that we always tell because it was kind of a big deal, you know. Um, also, Willis was arrested in front of his house. That's right. Um, what's that guy? Todd Daniels or no? Todd Bridges. Todd Bridges. Yeah. Todd Bridges, yeah. Was arrested in front of his house one time. Um, and he was also very close friends with uh, John Ritter, which is kind of okay, cool. cool. Um, because cool. of the movie, the, the movie Real Men was briefly filmed in his neighborhood. And um, they had like a kind of a um, sorry for the inconvenience party uh, oh, really? about, you know, after they because they closed his whole street down to shoot the real men. And um, at the like after he said that, you know. That him and John Ritter hit it off so well that they stayed friends for the rest of John Ritter's life and like went you know their families went to dinner together and everything. Oh nice! I re I remember watching Real Men on HBO like over and over again. Oh man, that's a fantastic movie. We're gonna have to do a podcast on that sometime because you know it's kind of an action movie and I like I feel like it's one of those movies that is totally underrated. But I could be wrong because I watched it only when it was famous and thought it was great. You know like. Like, I watched it in the theaters, and then I watched it for, like, a year over and over again right after it came out and thought, like, this is the funniest movie, like, ever made. And I wonder if that still stands up as I'm watching that as an adult, you know? I know. I'm afraid because it's Jim Belushi. Right. Right. And, he, he, and like when you're a kid, like, he's, he, you find him hilarious. But then when you grow up, grow you're, up, like, you're kind of like, oh. He's, yeah, he's definitely no John. That's for sure. Like, I don't think he's as funny as, yeah, we think. Well, and you know, you know my friend Shifty? Um, yeah, yeah. Who's, she's actually, I guess, been on the podcast once or twice. Um, she's actually met him because she's a bartender in Bar Baltimore, and he's actually come into her bar, bar one, more than once. And she says he's like the creepiest individual ever. <laughs> you know, like, like he'll come in and be like, "Hey, you're kind of cute. I'm Jim Belushi. Like, why don't we screw?" And she's like, "Yeah, uh, go away." <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, she says that he's just he just like routinely freaking comes into a place and hits on every girl in there, and then they like like is getting rejected because he's so like not trying to have any game at all. He's just trying to be like, hey, I'm Jim Belushi, which means I'm a fat old bastard with marginal talent. You know, <laughs> like it's not like he came in and said like, hey, I'm John Belushi, who could probably get away with that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, it's like even when he was like a big like kind of like quote unquote like kind of like big. He still was like a gross dude. Right, <laughs> like, right. Like, like now he's got to be even like, like really gross. Right now he's got to be really awful. But like, we'll say, what is it? Was it Turner and Hooch or K Nine? One of those like, you know, like back then it was he was still pretty awful. Um, yeah, but, yeah. No, yeah, I'd be interested. We're gonna have to. I'll have to see if we can't break that out. We might have to do an episode of, of that because it's like a, it was one of my favorite things. 
And, you know, and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. Like the movie Time Bandits was one of my favorite movies as a five-year-old kid. And then I think me and you actually watched it as adults. And I was like, holy shit, this movie is like seriously, seriously brilliant. And it's funny for a whole different reason than I thought as a kid, you know? Yeah, when you think about watching Time Bandits as a fucking kid, you're just like, holy fucking shit. Like that's right. messed up. Like towards the end, you're just like, I don't know what's happening. Like he's blowing up like his, his like henchmen and like the right. One- the one little guy is like turned into a pig, and you're just like, what is like? Yeah, but yeah, but then when I you watch this over and over again as a kid, <laughs> right? Like I watched it so many times as a kid, but like as a kid, I loved it because it had funny little guys doing like slapstick stuff, and it's like the classic childhood dream. You know, he gets picked, he gets gets to go on this huge, fantastic adventure and be the hero, and you know. But then as an adult, I was like, wow, this is brilliant satire. Like, they, he, like Terry Gilliam systematically makes fun of everyone in that, you know? Because doesn't the kid's parents blow up at the end? Oh, yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Remember, he freaking, he, <laughs> like, the, 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 the pure evil's in the microwave. And he's like, mom, dad, don't touch it. So immediately they touch it. And <laughs> <laughs> it explodes. Yeah, it explodes. And it just leaves him crying on the side of the road because his yeah. parents freaking blew up and his house burned down. Um, yeah, that's oh, so good. Yeah, Terry that's Gilliam's nice. new movie just got greenlit. I saw that on Reddit. Um, and you know, and he just finished his Don Quixote movie finally, so I, which he's been working on for like fifteen years or something. Yeah, so he finally got that done. So that's awesome. Be... I I love Terry Gilliam is one of my top, I would say top three filmmakers. I love him so much. I don't think he's ever done something that I didn't like. Few for me have not been that good. Oh really? I have no idea get past them but like i still go watch them but his last few i was like i haven't been able to what, really... what's what was what his most recent movie maybe i haven't seen his last few movies either he did this one called the zero theorem no i have not seen that one yet i will have to definitely have to watch that it looks like it's trying to be like a 12 monkeys okay thing, which he did which is amazing right but it, it was just it was just so it was really boring and i just i couldn't get into it and also one of best brad pitt's best roles yeah, 12 Monkeys. 12 Monkeys. Yeah. And I think, I, I want to say, I, did that come out before or after True Romance? Because I know Brad Pitt was not Brad Pitt in in 12 Monkeys, that that kind of made his career, or really started his career for him. But I'm not sure if it's exactly his first movie. I don't know. It's 90, let me look here. It's 95? Is that what it says? It might even be sooner than that. I think it might be 93 or 94. And I think True Romance was 1992. I'm pretty sure that came out when I was in high school. Now, granted, Brad Pitt's only a very, very minor character in True Romance, but he's also a very awesome character, like one of the best stoners to ever be on the screen. True Romance, 93. Okay. So, yeah. He did, like, California and True Romance, like, same year. That's right. I I forgot he was the freaking psycho in, in True Romance, too. Uh, but, you know, I've always liked Brad Pitt. I've always thought he was a very good actor. Like, I mean, it's like a lot of the guys who are big heartthrobs, are, I, I get mad because it's like, okay, this guy's completely getting by on his looks. But Brad Pitt's one of the ones who I thought, wow, he really does. You know, sure, he's your typical freaking, you know, beautiful Hollywood main role, but he also does have some acting chops, and he's also usually really puts a lot of goodness into his works. Yeah, I usually don't have a problem with Brad Pitt, for, but for the most part, like some of the movies, yeah, whatever. Right. But like Moneyball, Moneyball, he's fantastic. Tree of Life, he's fantastic. Nice. So. You know, you'll be proud of me. I actually introduced a whole new generation of kids to Snatch um, about a week ago. I was at, uh, I was at my friend's house, and his son and daughter were we, were, we were just sitting around waiting for him to get home. And I was like, well, I have this, uh, I have a couple movies if you want to watch them, um, and one of them was Snatch. And they were like, oh, what's that? And I'm like, well, do you like Jason Statham? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we love Jason Statham. I was like, okay, well, don't get the wrong idea because this is not your typical Jason Statham movie. I said, but this is when he was really young and kind of breaking into it. Um, and it's also like of all the Brad Pitt movies ever, this is the best Brad Pitt movie. Um, <laughs> and so they actually like loved the movie from start to finish and like are, were actually looking up Guy Ritchie to see what other movies he had made. <laughs> um, which I thought was kind. Of, I thought it was kind of cool because like neither of them were even alive when that movie came out, you know. And then they got disappointed that they saw what Guy Ritchie made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that was definitely his peak for sure. I mean, and he's okay. his other movies are like okay, but 
not nearly the level of Snatch, which was just amazing compared to everything else. Um, and we also we also did something that was fun. We turned the subtitles on, and it's mm -hmm. great. Like I never actually knew what the gypsies were saying to each other, but a lot of it is really hilarious. Uh, oh, nice! Never done that before. So. Yeah, yeah. If you turn subtitles, if you turn subtitles on, it subtitles everything else, but it also will subtitle everything that the gypsies say. And there's a bunch of like kind of little inside jokes amongst the the gypsies. Like um, they all want the freaking powder blue. Uh, they all want and like they said that you know like they're actually all talking about how they'll be the coolest ones in the whole caravan if they've got the powder blue caravan, and that's why he wants that for his mom. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. I mean, if you've seen one Guy Ritchie movie, you've basically seen all of them because he's still making the same movie. Basically. Right, right. Yeah. And and it's like, I think Lock, Smock, and Two Smoking Barrels came right out before Snatch, and it was like he hadn't quite got that uh, that whole... It because it was basically the same movie, but it just didn't... It just wasn't as like acted as well, so... Um, yeah, it looks like it was his first movie, and that's how he got to do Snatch. Right. I remember reading a big thing on Snatch when it came out, and like how there was like a three-hour version of it, and he was like super disappointed because it was so long and so boring and that's kind of where snatch kind of became in that whole like super super cutty like right right there's so good well and i could see that i could see that being a really long movie because there were so many characters in it and so many kind of everybody had their own motivation and you know but um i think it was done really really well but yeah that was actually um the one kid said that he said holy crap he's like i'm never gonna remember the names of all these guys so i was like well don't worry about their names it's like just you, you know, you'll you'll be okay. <laughs> like by the middle of it, they were just like, "Wow, this is awesome!" And like, I mean, the one kid actually took the movie from me, which is like a DVD I just had laying around, and was actually gonna go show it to like all his buddies. So I was like, "Yeah, go ahead." I, you know, I was like, "I've seen it so many times that it's not that big of a deal." How old were these were these guys? Were these he was sixteen, and his sister I think was nineteen. Yeah, it's a it's, it's like a perfect like sixteen seventeen year old movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, because it has, like, everything. And the comedy, you know, the comedy in it is very geared towards that, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, we saw it when we were, like, 20, but still. Right, right. <laughs> we thought it was a shit when it came out, too. I, I think I rewatched it recently. I wasn't as enamored with it, but it's still, I mean, I have a special place in my heart for it because it's, yeah. The yeah. soundtrack's amazing. And just, like, the, the and the, yeah, the soundtrack is really, really good. And basically, like, that movie, basically, like, do you remember uh, Sanchez Murphy, the movie? Yeah, the yeah, the movie idea? that you made, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it's basically a cut. The way it's cut now is, you know, because like kind of, of snatch, based on that like, snatch, right? Yeah, because, um, like, our movie was, like, a half hour long. It was really, like, boring and kind of, like, pretty straight-laced. Right. So then, like, I saw, I saw this thing about Snatch, and I was like, well, fuck, if my movie's, like, if I can just turn my movie into, like, a nice 15 minutes snappier movie right why that's not basically, yeah that's basically how that came about but yeah um that just good, good well, soundtracks but... <laughs> it reminds me of did you get netflix back yeah, yeah okay yeah. did you watch the 13 reasons why series no no okay well it's weird because the show is meh i mean it's okay but it really makes me crazy because the soundtrack off on it is just off the hook. The soundtrack is like so freaking good, right? And yeah. it kills me because I can't figure out like one of the the, the characters, like two of them are kind of like you know like your your alternative goth chicks, um, and then two of the guy characters are kind of like punky slash alternative you know dark dressing leather wearing dudes, and I can't figure out like. Is the soundtrack so good because that's what like edgy teenagers listen to now, or is it that the producers remember when they were edgy teenagers and used that music because it's like music that we listened to when we were freaking edgy teenagers? Like it's got like Joy Division and the Jesus and Mary Chain and Social Distortion, you know. Like there's really barely anything from this millennium in it at all. It's all the stuff that we listen to when we were, you know, the freaking edgy punk rock kids. And so, like, I'm like, wow, do kids still listen to that? Or do the people who, you know, made the movie are now our age and that's what they think that they, the kids listen to, you know? I don't think anybody listens to the Jesus. But it's funny you bring up Jesus and Mary Chain. I just realized that they put out an album, like, last year. So I was listening to it last week, and it's fucking fantastic. Is it? I but heard I don't that. Think, I don't think anybody else... I don't think anybody else listens to them. Yeah, <laughs> like, Mazzy Star released a new album, too, that I heard. I was actually just... 
um, talking to a friend online about a week ago, and I mentioned Mazzy Star, and he said, oh, did you listen to the album that they put out in 2012? It's surprisingly phenomenal. And I was like, no, I'm going to have to look that up. Um, but I, I, I couldn't get out of him, and he couldn't tell me. He actually thought that the lead singer's name was Mazzy Star, and I said, well, is it a Mazzy Star album or is it a Hope Sandoval album? Um, I'm guessing it's a Mazzy Star album since he didn't know her name was Hope Sandoval, which is weird because, like, you would think that the hottest woman in existence in history you would know her name you know <laughs> she, she also she also did uh in this one album i remember playing for him when he was uh, a baby and put him to sleep yeah she did an album with with hope sandoval and the warm inventions oh, okay that's I'll, really cool I i'll have to get that like, i think it's she was in them from 2000 to 2010 so so maybe that's the album he's talking about um but yeah no you know but actually I, mean, I heard i heard one of um jesus and mary chains new songs recently and uh mm. and i thought wow that's really it like, good it sounds like old jesus and mary chain <laughs> sure like sounds... but i mean but that's okay that's with me i I've, they were they're one of those bands yeah, who yeah. i think uh, i think should have gotten a lot more credit than than they did I, and they're yeah. one of those bands that i hated i despised the jesus and mary chain until i saw them live i saw them live at jesus or at Lollapalooza, and it was really good so then i, I started looking into them and um i mean i think darklands is one of the greatest like greatest albums of the '80s, really, uh, that mm-hmm. they, nobody ever really gives them credit for. I don't think I've ever actually listened to that one. Oh man, you got to check it out. It's darker than the Jesus and Mary Chain normally is, and they're normally kind of dark. But it's like, it's it's one of those things that is just amazing, and it's been covered so many times. Like, um, "Happy When It Rains" has been covered like a thousand times. I've heard recently. I heard somebody just get credit for putting that song. Like they put that song out as a pop song, and they're like, "Oh, this is so brilliant." And I was like. The Jesus and Mary Chain wrote that in 1985. Like, what the hell, <laughs> you know? Is it the same thing as the Garbage song? Is it the same song? Could be. I'm not sure right away. Oh, Garbage did one, but I didn't know if it was... Right. I, I know it's been covered a million times. Um, yeah. But I've also heard that that is a title, you know, that wasn't the same song as the Jesus and Mary Chain song. But yeah, no, it's... I'm, I'm sure you can probably find a used CD somewhere for next to nothing, and it's definitely worth it. Okay, yeah. I, I yeah, so listening with automatic. Yeah, and see you know, same stuff. same here and that was kind of when we were like sophomores in high school and they were they were kind of big. They were sort of um and yeah. and Darklands is actually one of their earliest albums. It's not their first album which was uh Psycho uh, Candy. Psycho Candy, but it's like right after that. And like it's one of those things that I don't think they got any acclaim for it at all when it came out, but it's really really stood the test of time, you know. Yeah. Yeah, when I started listening to the new stuff, I was like, oh, man, I miss, I miss these guys. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, I want to go see them, but I'm sure, I'm sure they're just as old as everybody else. I was like, I don't know if I want to see that either. Right. Well, well they're, tour, they're touring because they released that album. They're definitely touring, so it might be cool to go see them now. I, I, I have to confess, I've been listening to – I got Sirius as part of my new car deal, and mm-hmm. they have, a, uh, they have a, a channel called First Wave, and it's all kind of like pre-alternative. It's all alternative music from before it was called alternative music, from like back when it was called college or progressive music. Yeah. Um, and it's just fantastic. Like all of their channels, it's like I like a little bit of it. Like they have three different styles of punk channels, and all of them it's like I like some of their stuff, and they have three different types of metal, probably five different metal ones. And like all of their other ones... Like, I like one out of the four of their songs, but this, like, for whatever reason, this one always is playing good stuff. Like, it's got the Ramones, Jesus and Mary Chain, um, like, Sisters of Mercy, and freaking Susie and the Banshees. It's like, oh, like, at the very least, I like four out of the five songs, you know? Nice. Um, so, yeah, have I've been listening. Oh, go ahead. Have you seen The Guest? The Guest. I, I feel like I have. Guest. What movie? Who's was in Last that? year? Dan Stevens, he's from uh, Down Down Abbey, but um, it's like this. It came out in 2014. Okay. But the soundtrack has has like Sisters of Mercy on it. Uh, nice. Love and Rockets. Um, a bunch of other like those types of bands I've never heard of, but right. Are, now, did you ever spend like, any time listening to Echo and the Bunnymen? I never listened to them back then, but recently I've really gotten into them because. Um, it's like it's like Radiohead twelve years before Radiohead existed. It's really good. No, I never listened to them. I just never got into them. Right, and it's weird. Like back then, I knew who they were because like they they have you know in the places where I like to shop for clothing, they would have Echo and the Bunnymen T-shirts. 
um, and they were always kind of lumped in with them, and I never, but I never actually bothered to listen to them. Um, but from listening to this radio station, I'm like, wow, these guys are amazing. Uh, yeah, I think I, th- I think I thought it was a little more like like too too goth for my taste. And it, it's definitely it's definitely on the goth side of things. But uh, like, I mean, it's weird now that I'm older and I'm not really worried about what people think of me based on, you know, my identity is not based on what kind of music I listen to. I've really opened up and listened to a lot more music, you know? Yeah. 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 Now I don't give a shit. So yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just a band that I looked past. I never got into, but yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to say now that we're almost at an hour and we're just ranting about music, we should probably wrap this up and I guess we'll do um, my zoo warriors is coming in the mail. Um, it should be here tomorrow. It's the 1983 one. Um, so I should have that watched for next week, and um, the, I have both, so I'll watch both just in, just to make sure. Okay, cool, <laughs> cool, uh, and you know, like, on that. yeah. The bottom line is is that um, happy birthday to Con Air, and um, we're glad that it was made. And I, f- I feel like if you are a student of action films, that this has got to be on your list because it really does do everything right. Uh, although it may not have done yeah. it as well think, as some as other ones, it's it's a very good illustrations of like the formula that you could be using. Yeah, and it's a it's a Bruckheimer movie, and I think he gets a lot of shit, but I think it's a really good Bruckheimer movie. I think I don't edit so crazy that you can't follow what's going on like like later movies and stuff like that. I think it's a really solid movie. Right. Well, and you know, this also sure. goes to show us show off our taste of matured some, because probably around 1997. We'd have probably shit on Con Air because it wasn't as innovative, you know, because it was so mainstream. Like, I mean, I, I remember what we were like in '97, and if it wasn't like super indie guerrilla filmed, we were probably gonna say it sucked, and it was just a Nicolas Cage vehicle. You know, now, you weren't quite as bad as me, but I was definitely the art snob <laughs> in 1997. Came out and I had the soundtrack, even I drove around with the soundtrack, the crazy guitar <laughs> right. soundtrack. Right. Top down, I had like yeah, I was just driving around like a, like like a, yeah, a giant nerd. Now, was that the <laughs> escort? No, I was like I think it was I, I think I was out here. I think I already moved out. To oh, okay, because had her like piece of shit convertible, but we we drive home Maryland and we'd be blasting that soundtrack. Nice top down. <laughs> but I'd just like to tell the audience that if you've listened this far, I'm gonna throw a little story about Trevor out. We had this escort that was a piece of shit and we used to like love crashing into stuff with it. Like nothing serious, like um, you know, road cones and whatnot. I mean granted we were maybe sixteen years old, so you do dumb dumb stuff like that. But then one time we decided we were gonna hit this turn and um we were going like way too fast and he drove all the way up over to the turn into this guy's driveway and we all thought we were going to die but we didn't so thank god for uh, that. yeah because yeah, i think it was up up on a hill yep and i think we how we ended down 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 the hill yep. okay up and down the hill and then back onto the road like over through this driveway and we were like holy shit are we all okay yes, and like, we were like okay and the car was okay and everything which um that was one of those things where we must have had nine lives because that was I mean, now, yeah. granted, we, it taught us not to do stupid shit like that anymore, to be fair, so. It's much safer now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, was time to, it was time to go home after that. So. Yep. So, all right, um, I'm going to go ahead and cut this off. And we are at 52 minutes, which is pretty awesome. And right. um, we will be back next week with Zoo Warriors, and thanks for listening.